ask you to join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And as, as we go through the Christmas season, we're in this series entitled, In the Waiting. You know, as it turns out, this very familiar story, this Christmas story, on one level, is really a story about waiting. Right? It's the story of God's people who had been waiting for many years for God to send his deliverer, his Messiah. And likewise, even even as they were waiting for his first coming, those of us who are followers of Christ are now waiting for his return. So in so many ways, the season of Christmas, the season of Advent, is a season that invites us to learn to wait well. And so with that in mind, during this season, uh, we're, we're looking at different themes that you can see in the Christmas story. Themes that can equip us and encourage us in the waiting. And this morning, we're going to look at this, this theme of faith. Now, as we look at faith, let me, let me just be honest. I'm not going to ask you to show of hands, but has this ever happened to you? And maybe it's happened recently, right? You, you're, you're a follower of Christ, or, or maybe you're not quite sure where you're at, but you're in a Christian home. You have Christian family, Christian friends. And life seems to be going okay, but then there's this moment, this season, the situation where it gets complicated, it becomes difficult. Maybe you're in that right now. For some of us, maybe 2023 has been a very hard year. And in your conversations with other people, maybe people that are close to you, because you've kind of found yourself in something that's really hard, something that is frustrating, maybe something where it's not obvious what the next step is. In that moment, there's been someone that kind of has said to you, just, you just need faith. And you appreciated their concern. But if you're honest, it just kind of fell flat internally. In fact, if you were really honest, you might even say, you know what, that was kind of the last thing I needed to hear at that moment. Has that happened to you? In fact, I my guess is for some of us, you, you may even have people in your life where it's like, you know what, I'm never really going to be honest with them, or at least I'm not going to be vulnerable or truly transparent with them about how things are going, because I know what they're going to say, right? They're going to say, well, you've got to have faith. <laughs> and you're going to say, okay, mom, thanks, right? right? We, we have, maybe you have people in your life where it's like, that's how I engage them because I know exactly what they're going to say. Now, candidly, I, I think if we're honest, it is the case that sometimes when we talk about faith and having faith, it seems, it seems trite, it seems unrealistic, it seems cliched. It's not like, well, that's what you hear at church, but what about real life? And maybe you have found yourself there, but particularly if you have found yourself there, for the next few minutes, I'm just going to invite, invite you to look with me at the Christmas story again. I know, I know it's familiar, but for a few moments, let's, let's just look at the story and think about faith. Let's, let's see what it's like for faith to actually be at work in the lives of people. 
Let's see the difference that it can make. And furthermore, I think as, as we look at this story, one of the things I want to highlight for you is that the Bible actually describes faith from different angles. And there are different dimensions to faith, and it may be the case that part of the reason this whole idea of faith can fall flat for us, this whole idea of faith can seem irrelevant or disconnected from life, it may be the case that part of the reason is that I don't really understand faith in all of its dimensions. So with that in mind this morning, what I want us to do is kind of as we kind of look at this familiar scene in the Christmas story, let's talk about three dimensions of faith. Now to see these, let's kind of pay attention to these dramatic moments in the Christmas story when Mary and Joseph each kind of encounter the angelic announcement that Jesus will be born. And as we do that, the first dimension that, that I want you to see is what you might refer to as trusting faith. It's the dimension of trust. And to show you that, let's kind of go back to what we've heard earlier. But let's go back to this scene in the life of Joseph found in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, as we kind of look at this story again, this very familiar story, let's just kind of, let's begin by putting ourselves kind of besides Joseph in this moment. And as we stand with Joseph, if, if I were to describe his life in one word at this point, I think it would be the word disrupted. Has your life ever really kind of been disrupted? That is, you kind of got, you had this vision that my life is kind of on this path and here's the way, here's the way my life is going to head and you kind of got it planned out and then somehow it, it just falls apart. The relationship comes to an end. That job offer never comes. Uh, my job gets discontinued. There's this health turn that I didn't expect. And somehow, I thought I was on this path, but now my life has been disrupted. And now I'm just trying to pick up the pieces and make sense of it all. In a real sense, that's Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. His life has been disrupted. He's engaged to be married, and understand in this context, engagement is a much more formal process, and it is actually a legal process. They were engaged, and, and with that in mind, Joseph has this idea of, here, I'm on this path. Once, once you're engaged, you, you, would, you would really already have the plans for kind of when the wedding would be, usually it would be about a year out. And so he's already, his life is already planned. He's, it's, he's already on this path. But now, 
it seems that path is closed because unexpectedly Mary is pregnant. Of course, his assumption is she's been unfaithful. So th this, this path doesn't seem open anymore. And now, now we've got a guy who's just trying to pick up the pieces. He's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. That, that this path is no longer open, and that really was the case. Legally and culturally, the expectation would be that he, that he needs to end the engagement. Had he not ended the engagement, he would either be condoning adultery or he would be acknowledging that he was the father. And so to the best of his ability, he's trying to do the right thing. So among, among other things, we're told that you know he's a righteous guy and but he's also a compassionate guy, and, and I'm truly impressed by this because, remember, this is a guy that now feels like, I've been taken off of this path because of her betrayal. Nonetheless, even though he feels betrayed by her, he still wants to act in compassion, so we're told he wants to put her away quietly. Again, this is a much more formal process than our engagement process today. So a, an engagement in this context had to be ended legally. But he doesn't want to do that in a public way, which actually could have been financially beneficial to him. Instead, he wants to do it quietly so that to the, most, to the best of his ability, he is protecting her. But then he has this dream. And, and you're familiar with the story, but can I just highlight one detail that you may not have kind of locked into before? And that one detail in his dream is this. Notice how he is addressed. Joseph, son of David. I guess that struck him somewhat as odd. People didn't go around referring to him as son of David. Interestingly, in Matthew's gospel, this is the only time anyone besides Jesus is referred to as the son of David. For us as the reader, when we read Joseph, son of David, it immediately takes us back to the opening of Matthew's gospel, only a few verses earlier, where we get this genealogy, this genealogy that focuses on King David and his importance in Israel's history. So for Joseph, this language, right, it's, it's a reminder. It's the, it's the angel coming to him and saying, Joseph, your life is part of a much bigger story. <laughs> right? You're part of this family where God has made promises. You're part of the story where God is at work. You're part of the story where promises have yet to be fulfilled. And Joseph, right now, I know that you, you, kind of, you, you were on this path, and now this seems closed to you, but I don't want you to be afraid to take Mary as your wife because now this, it turns out this path is actually part of a much bigger story of God's faithfulness. And so Joseph, you need to trust him in this. Even though this isn't the path 
you expected. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And so in a real sense, notice this. In this dream, before he's given action steps, Joseph is reminded of a relationship. Right? Joseph, you're, you're part of this story. You've been brought into relationship with God as part of his family. You are a son of David. And therefore, Joseph, this is a relationship you need to engage with trust. In, in a similar way, look at Mary's experience, right? Let's now go to Luke's gospel. Right? Even as, as Joseph is having that experience, here's Mary's experience. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, right? There's that emphasis on David again. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Again, notice the first words. What are the first words to Mary? You who are highly favored. If you want maybe even a more literal translation, Mary, you are highly graced. God's grace is deeply at work in your life, and God is with you. That's what she's being told. And once again, her experience highlights the relational nature of what's happening. Mary, you are in a relationship with God, and you can trust him. And so for both of these young individuals, right, they now find themselves in the Christmas story where they are challenged to trust. They're reminded of a relationship. They're reminded of God's character and God's faithfulness. And yes, this is complicated. Yes, this is unexpected. Yes, it's going to lead to awkward conversations and crazy looks and a certain level of shame in your culture. All of that is true. But you need to trust. You need to trust that God is at work and he's faithful to his promises. Now, I realize at this point you might say, well, of course, George, faith is all about trust. That's, that's what it means. But can I suggest there's actually more going on here? Let, let, me, let me show you kind of another dimension of faith. Because even as we can talk about trusting faith, I think we also need to talk about believing faith. And as you study the concept of faith in the Bible... I think it becomes clear it's not simply relational. It also involves content, right? That faith involves recognizing certain things are true about God, about us, about the world in which he's created. So as it turns out, faith, it's not simply about trust. It's, it's also about belief. 
And again, this is, I think this is where it's helpful to notice Mary's response. Because now you can easy, easily gloss over this, but if you read these texts carefully, from the very beginning, Mary is described as someone who is thinking through all that she is experiencing. I realize sometimes people look at Christians and maybe they kind of just kind of look dismissively at Christians as, well, those are people with blind faith. And maybe that's even your experience of Christianity. But if it is, can I challenge you, that's not what's going on here. For Mary, this isn't blind faith. Because from the very beginning, Luke highlights the fact that man, she's thinking through this. She is processing. She's wrestling with this. She's seeking to understand what's going on, right? I mean, in verse 29, it, it, it talks about her kind of wondering at what she was hearing. But this, this isn't kind of a casual term being used. It's, to, it's the idea of thinking through something carefully to reason thoroughly, Later, she will hear and experience this conversation with the shepherds. And there, Luke again says that she pondered what was going on. And again, it's a term that, that has to deal with the idea that she's giving careful consideration. So what's going on here, I think, is, okay, here's Mary. And, 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 and she understands this relationship of trust. And in the context of her trust in God, she's, trying, she's wrestling with this. What's going on here? I, you know, I'm trying to understand. God, what are you doing? And she's, she's, she's pondering it. She's thinking through. She's giving careful attention to all that is happening. So it, this isn't blind faith. That's not how she operates. And as she thinks through all that is going on, I think it is clear that her thoughts are being shaped by Scripture. Right? As she processes these experiences, she's, she's reflecting on different parts of the Bible. Yeah, I think she's wrestling with, okay, this, what's going on here? What is God up to? And, the, and those kinds of questions, this pondering is leading her back to text in the scriptures that she is familiar with. And she's beginning to kind of put pieces together based on how God is described in what we refer to as the Old Testament. And I think this becomes clear in Luke's gospel in that part we know as Mary's song or the Magnificat because ultimately she, she composes this song, this poem, this reflection on what she's learning and what God is doing. And we see that in Luke 1. But what you need to understand is all of her reflections are deeply rooted in the Old Testament. So... Here, here's, I'll just give you, you can see this chart. So on the left are the verses of the Mary song in Luke chapter 1 and just a, a brief introduction to what she is saying. And on the right are various Old Testament either quotations or allusions that permeate all that she says. You see what she's doing? She's reflecting on Scripture. Interestingly, a scholar who's done some recent work on the, the whole idea of meditation and meditating on Scripture has made the provocative statement that, you know where Jesus learned to meditate on Scripture? From his mother. That's what she's doing. Right? It's like, okay, God, I know I've got to trust you, but I'm, but I'm 
how do, I, how do I understand? How do I process? How do I understand what's going on? And that drives her back to familiar text of Scripture. And, and as she reflects, and God's Spirit is at work in her heart, as she reflects on these passages of Scripture, it's, it's now shaping how she's thinking about this unexpected experience. It's now shaping how she is processing this very complicated experience so that she can say, I'm rejoicing in this. Why? Because I'm starting to understand and I'm starting to have my mind and, and my actions shaped by how God has already described his promises in Scripture so I know this is what is happening. So we see not only trusting faith, but believing faith. And I th can, can I just suggest, I think this can be a step we sometimes overlook. Here's one of the reasons faith for us can, can start to feel shallow or irrelevant. Because, you know, okay, I trust God. I come to church. I, I hear the messages. I, I participate. I trust God. God, I believe in you. But then there's that moment. Then there's that season when my life gets complicated, when the unexpected happens, or there's just this busyness that begins to creep in. And and I don't fully understand it, or there's this twist in my life that wasn't expected, and, and I start to say, well, maybe I just can't trust you. And I just disengage. And see, the part we're missing is this next step. <laughs> Mary took, right? In the midst of the confusion, the uncertainty, the awkwardness that would now be a part of her life socially. She's, it's like, okay, God, I trust you, but help me understand. And that drives her back to Scripture. And over time, these, these Scriptures are just shaping her thoughts and her attitudes and her approach to engaging this unexpected circumstance. You see, in the context of trust, she said, I want to learn. I want to know more about who you are and what you are doing and, and how I should respond. So there's this other dimension to faith. Believing. Maybe you're here, maybe you're joining us online, and you know, you're not really sure. You know, George, to be honest with you, I hear you talking about faith, but I'm not really sure what I believe. I'm not sure what I think. And maybe my invitation, my challenge to you is I get that and I appreciate you're here or you're joining us and I appreciate your willingness to be a part. And my challenge to you is would you be willing to explore further? Would you be open just, okay, I'm not sure what I think, but you know, even as Mary wanted to learn, I want to learn, and I'd love to know more about kind of this whole reality of Christianity and what it entails. And if you're at that place, just know, we, hey, we would, here, Hershey Free would love to have that conversation with you about what that can look like. Maybe you're here and you would say, no, George, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. I've, I've put my trust in Christ. But maybe you would also say, but I'm not always sure about this next step of believing, not always sure that my life is really being shaped by Scripture. 
If that's the case, let me, can I just remind you that through, throughout this year, we're, we're trying to encourage you to develop certain spiritual habits and spiritual rhythms. And I, I, I want you to know, and we'll talk more about this even in a few weeks, um, that as we begin the new year, as we begin 2024, we're going to begin with a series in the book of Hebrews, about a book that really invites us to keep moving forward. And, and, and particularly in that series, we want to encourage you to engage scripture and make certain resources available to help you do that. And in many ways, these are resources that just allow us to kind of take the step that Mary took of reflecting on scripture and allowing scripture to shape how we engage life. So in this story, we, we see that, you know, it really begins with trust. It begins with a recognition that, that God invites us into this relationship of trust. And for us, it's now a relationship made possible through Jesus Christ. And in the course of that relationship, we're to be shaped by the truth of who God is and who we are and what he's doing. And that then leads to the third step that we see in this passage, the third dimension of faith. And that's really obeying faith. To go back to Matthew's gospel, what was Joseph's response to what he had heard? Well, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I realized, you know, at some levels, well, George, if I had an angel come to me in a dream, I'd do whatever he told me to. I get that. I get their experience is unique. But remember, the angels go away. And the day-to-day -day reality of what they're going to experience continues. <laughs> the day-to-day -day reality of how complicated this is in their social network continues. But in the midst of that, they took steps of obedience. And we see this all in the opening chapters of the Gospels. And once again, I think, can I suggest this, this sometimes for us is the kind of the step of faith we leave out? For some of us, maybe the deal is our concept of faith is really learning more about God, Right? We really hone in on the believe part, and I want to learn more, and that is so important. But sometimes we just become content with mastering content. And we lose sight of taking steps of obedience, putting what I'm learning into practice. And once again, if I do this, I think I'm not really engaging in faith in all of its dimensions. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to see faith in all of its dimensions? Well, notice what is said of Mary, right? And, I mean, and so in, in, in the opening chapters of Luke, so here's Mary. She's learning to trust. And in this context of trust, she's, she's wrestling. She's learning. She's processing through Scripture. And, the, and as she processes, she's taking steps of obedience. And as she is on this journey, notice is what is said of her in Luke chapter 1. Blessed. Is she who has believed, and that's the standard word in the New Testament for faith, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed. 
If you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, you're probably familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount opens with those statements of blessing, blessed, blessed, blessed. And we sometimes refer to them as the Beatitudes. This is the same term that Jesus uses. So in reality, this is the first Beatitude in the Gospels. Blessed is the one who believes that he will be faithful to fulfill his promises. That's faith in all of its dimensions. That term blessed is, is a term that kind of communicates the idea of flourishing, of thriving. Now, it's not a guarantee that life will be comfortable it's not a guarantee that life won't have complications. After all, that is exactly what Mary is about to experience. But it is the recognition that this journey of faith in all its dimensions is a journey of flourishing. So with that in mind, let me just ask you this question. And this is kind of what I want to leave you with this morning. This is what I want you to wrestle with. And that is this question, where do you need to respond in faith? Where do you need to respond in faith? Let me unpack that a little more. I mean, is there some issue, some decision, some relationship, some complication right now where it, it, it's just appropriate for you to say, God, I want to respond to this in faith. And that's particularly true at Christmas, right? Because remember, the faith we see in the lives of these people is in response to this amazing work that God is doing. And it's really the amazing work of God that is the focus of this text. This amazing word of sending his son who will ultimately die in our stead. This son who will assume the penalty, the weight, the guilt of our sin and who will make it possible for us to experience forgiveness and new life and restoration to be transformed by his spirit. And in, in light of that reality, where do you need to respond in faith. I mean, is there something you're dealing with right now, and maybe you've kind of been praying about it, but you're still just kind of mulling it over on your own, and, but there's something where even at this moment you need to say to, to God, Father, I, I want to respond in faith to this issue. I want to respond in faith to this relationship. I want to respond in faith to this situation or this decision or this responsibility. And Father, I know I, I want to do this in a relationship of trust that you made possible because of what Christ did for me. So I know I, know I can trust you, but Father, I, I want to learn more. So Father, may, may your, your spirit through, through the scriptures, through corporate worship, through the ways in which I am opening myself up to you, may your spirit really continue to shape who I am and how I think about this particular situation. May your word just shape my thinking about who you are, about who I am, and about how I am to engage this well. And as that, help, as that happens, just help me take steps of faith. Is, is there something 
some situation, some relationship, some conversation where you just, you just need to say, Father, I want to respond. I want to respond to this in faith. I'll just, let me just give you a simple example. And maybe this is relevant to you because I think this is more relevant during the Christmas season. Let's acknowledge the Christmas season is a time we, usually most of us, we spend more time with people. Like yesterday, even in our house, we had our neighbors over. That was a great time. Had about 10, 10 or 12 of our neighbors over, and we kind of had brunch together. And maybe for you, this is a season when you're, you're going to have, you know, you get together with people at the office or, or your work. But depending on your family, they are going to be family occasions, family gatherings. Maybe some of these are very large if you have a large extended family. And that's great, but maybe it's also the case that in the, in the midst of those relationships, some of the relationships are stretched or torn. Maybe for some of you, it, it's complicated getting together with family because, you know, this person, we just don't see eye to eye on certain things. And whenever we get together, politics comes up or this issue comes up and, and we feel the polarization at work in our culture and our family. And, you know, do you know that? You ever had that? You know there's some people you're most likely to do this with when you gather at Christmas. Well, recently, actually during the Thanksgiving holidays, I had a conversation with a guy named Tim Muehlhoff. Tim teaches at um, Biola University on the West Coast, a Christian university on the West Coast. He's a professor of communication. And as we were talking, Tim is a prolific writer, as we were talking, we were talking about his next book, which actually deals with a lot of how do we deal with, you know, hard conversations, conflict culturally and that sort of thing. And he's got a book coming out next year called In the Stalemate, Moving from Cancel Culture to Meaningful Conversation. And so as we were talking about that, I said, well, I'm just curious, what would you say what would you say to someone about how do I handle these Christmas conversations well? You know, I go to this family gathering, but there's this one uncle, and we always butt heads, and he makes snide comments, and I push back, and it, it, it's always a train wreck. How would, how would you say we need to handle those conversations? And it was interesting because his first, thing, his first comment to me was, George, you got to start with the pre-conversation. I said, say what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? What pre-conversation? He said, well, he said, look, if you just go into a conversation like that and you haven't really thought about it, it's going to be a train wreck in 30 seconds, particularly if you've got bad history with this person. And he said, one of the things I, I want people to understand is the pre-conversation is, is as important as the conversation. And he said, walk me through that. And he did. He said, well, you know, I think when we've, we've had awkward conversations and relationships, I think we've kind of got a plan for the next time. And it was interesting because he said, you know, I think part of that is just coming to God in prayer and acknowledging, I think if there's bitterness or anger or frustration, we need to acknowledge that. And some of it, he said, we need to confess, otherwise it just accumulates. I said, oh, that's so true. And then he said, I, and George, he said, I think in, in preparing your heart for this, you need to just, just be open to the fact that God can be at work. Right? It's not like you've got to go in there and you've got to convince them, you've got to win the conversation. He said, he said, I want you to be open to God being at work. And he said, and as you desire for God to be at work, seek to be sensitive to the best way to have a healthy conversation. And he said, it may be the case, George, that what you need to say is, if this stuff starts to come up, you just need to look at that relative and say, look, 
I'd love to have, I'd love to talk more about this, but you know, this is kind of a family thing and maybe we can set another time to have that conversation. He said, that may be the healthiest thing for you to do. And then he said, and another thing I would just encourage you to think about is how can you be, <laughs> how can you be more curious in understanding where this person is coming from? Because he said, we so quickly go into conflict and confrontation as if we want to win. And we're not really curious as to, well, help me understand what you're thinking or why this has become important to you or tell me a little bit of your story so that I understand kind of how this has become a value or your approach. And so he was walking through kind of these kinds of bullet points for me. And interestingly, as he was doing that, he was kind of going back to different statements in the book of Proverbs about our speech. And, you know, I, as I reflected on that conversation with him, I thought, you know what he's just done? He has just walked me through the different dimensions of faith. He encouraged me to trust God, you know, just to, to, even before you get to a conversation, just, okay. Communicate, you know, entrust this to God. And then, then he was reflecting on Scripture to help me think about, well, what, are, what, is, what does Scripture tell me in terms of having a healthy conversation, particularly when things are difficult or complicated? And in doing that, he was also giving me action steps. This is... This is what it means to obey. So I'll tell you how it goes after Christmas is over. <laughs> but I thought, this is, this is the journey of faith. And I reflected on that conversation, realized, okay, this is, this is an area that can be committed to God with the desire to grow in faith. And even as I got off the phone, I realized, yeah, some of this has really helped these kinds of conversations go better. I can already see the difference that it made. I can already see this as the path of flourishing. So what about you? Is there some issue, some decision, some situation where you say this morning, God, this, <laughs> this is where I need to respond in faith. Father, in an attitude of trust, I want to learn more about who you are and what you're doing so that that can shape how I respond. And in being attuned to that, I want you to empower me to take action steps. See, that's that's the faith we see in the Christmas story. And that's actually the faith that Jesus makes possible through the story of Christmas. So with that in mind, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. And can I just encourage you that if there's something that comes to mind, even as I'm praying, would you just kind of, God, here's where I want to re respond in faith. And just, just come to him this morning with that. So, Father, as we come again to this familiar story, foundationally, we celebrate the wonder of what you are doing through Jesus Christ. We celebrate the truth that in Christ, your word has become flesh 
and dwelt among us. And yet even as we celebrate that reality, we see the work of faith in the characters in this story. And Father, we realize there are things we can learn from their journey. Things that we can learn so that we are people who wait well. And so, even in this moment, God, I would pray that for some of us, if there are things we just kind of need to bring to you, this moment, and just say, Father, this Christmas, here's what I'm giving. This is an area in my life that I want to learn to respond in faith. And so, may we just be willing to kind of bring that to you right now. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed along those lines, we, we would love just to encourage you in that and pray with you. We're going to have members of our prayer team here at the front, and I know maybe it feels like you're rushed to get out or you've got other things to do, but I would encourage you just before you do that, just give us the opportunity to pray with you because we want to encourage you, and there's something about being a part of a family that helps us realize we are not carrying these issues on our own. So members of our prayer team will be at the front, and we would just be delighted if, if you would give us the opportunity to pray with you. And now as we, as we go, as we kind of enter a, a new week leading to the celebration of Christ's birth, the season in which we're learning to wait well, may we go as people committed to living in faith. Amen.